Hi, everyone. You're listening to Who I Met Today, and I'm your host, Pam Lamp. I'm all about doing one tiny new thing every single day. And on this podcast, I invite you to come along with me and discover something new through conversations with people from all walks of life. I hope you enjoy listening to these interviews and exploring new territory with me. For more people stories and episodes, please visit my website, whoimettoday.com. If you've ever been to a concert, you've seen and heard the backup vocalist who adds so very much to every show. My guest today, Marty Slayton Jordan, has, among many other things, performed with country music superstar George Strait for 23 years. Marty is one of my favorite people, and I can't wait for you to meet her too. Welcome, Marty. I know you've had a busy year and your calendar is really full, so I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today. I'm so happy to talk with you. Yes, it's busy, but busy is good. Busy is good. Marty, for over 20 years, you've been the only female vocalist in a band called Ace in the Hole that tours and plays with George Strait. And I think most listeners will recognize that name. Can you tell us about growing up? As a young girl, did you dream of performing in stadiums? Oh, gosh, I don't know. I started singing when I was seven in a voice studio in my little hometown, Alamo. And I think I knew pretty early on, like maybe pre-teen, teenage years that I wanted to sing, but I also wanted to be an architect when I watched The Brady Bunch and I wanted to be in advertising when I watched Bewitched. And, you know, I was from such a small town. I didn't know what most of those things actually were. But yeah, I always enjoyed singing and loved singing harmony with my sisters and other people in my hometown and at my church. So it's kind of a natural thing. It wasn't how I had it planned, but what actually ever is, I guess. Marty, where is Alamo? It's in West Tennessee. It's not too far from Memphis, between Memphis and Nashville. So I'm in Nashville now. I'm only a couple hours from home and can get there pretty easily. Crockett County is the name of the county and Alamo is the county seat. We were, you know, cheerleaders and in the band and all the small town stuff, not unlike Friday Night Lights, except it wasn't in Texas. It was in Tennessee. (laughs) So what led you to singing? How did you go down that path? In my hometown, there was a voice teacher, Joe Kincaid, and that's just something everybody kind of did. It was a town of, like I said, football and beauty pageants, and and we got to get up on stage and sing and have everybody applaud, and it was just something that you can pretty easily get addicted to, especially (laughs) if people say you're kind of good at it. So that's kind of how my sister sang. I don't come from a musical family at all, but we just kind of love to get up and get on stage. And that's how it started. And then I started with a band when I was 15 or 16 years old, playing at the VFW and places I wasn't even supposed to be in, probably. <laughs> so, so yeah, then I went to college for music business, for recording industry management at MTSU to learn more about his business because I didn't know anything about it or how to go about doing it as a career. So you wanted to be a songwriter or an artist or... I wanted to be an artist. I mean, I dabbled in the songwriting, but I had such a huge respect and still do even more so for the people who write the songs because it is a true art, a craft. It's one of my favorite things to this day is to hear a song that makes me go, wow, that is so cool. How did they come up with that idea and make it work all the way from beginning to end? I I love a great song. But yeah, I wanted to be on stage and be down front and have background singers and a band and all the stuff. 
and travel. And I'm getting to do a lot of that just kind of from a different position on stage. (laughs) Since I've moved to Nashville, I've learned a little bit about the music industry. I love listening to the songwriters around town and the all the musicians that we have here. But it's hard for me to understand how some extremely talented people receive record label contracts and other extremely talented people don't. So at what point did you make the decision to go into backup singing rather than be the star on the stage? I don't know if there was a point where I did that. There was a series of events that sort of made the decision for me many years ago, long before George Strait or Reba or anyone else I've gotten to sing with. I was in the studio trying to record some of my own things and some other songs that this producer who believed in me had found and thought I would sound good on. We're in the studio. And I heard someone say that Marie Osmond's background singer, Leanna Manis, who's a fantastic singer in town, was going to be going to sing with Clint Black. Marie Osmond, whom I had grown up watching the Donnie and Marie show, sure, was looking for a background singer. And I was like, well, what about me? And one of the guys in the studio said, I don't know if you want to do that, because if you ever start singing backgrounds or start singing demos, you'll never be out front. And I was like, I'm waiting tables right now. So not that there's anything wrong with that, but I want to sing. So I just want to sing whenever I can. And if it means singing harmony with Marie Osmond, what a kick. You know, how fun would that be? So I sent my little cassette tape that we made that very day. They put a quick little mix together and took it to actually full circle the Grand Ole Opry House where she was doing a private show and played it for her. And then I got a phone call to go on the road with Marie Osmond. So that was my very first background gig. And I always thought, you know, I'll keep doing my own thing. And I did. I continued to record and try to write some songs and do some demos and do my own thing. But that led to other background gigs and growing up singing harmony with my sisters and in the voice studio where I learned to sing, I loved singing harmony and it worked out. You know, I like being down front. I always loved it and I love the thrill of that, but there's something relaxing about singing harmony with somebody and not having the pressure to put bodies in the seats and not or to sell the tickets or to sell the records, but to get to be a part of it. I've learned to love that equally as much and I think it's where I'm supposed to be. Marie Osmond was first, and then I lived in a building with someone who worked with Louise Mandrell, auditioned for that, sang and danced with Louise. And so one thing led to another, and I waited tables in the interim and did a lot of other odd jobs here and there (laughs) to support my music habit, as I always say. But yeah, I mean, it's been on quite a journey I never thought I would take. So Now, you mentioned Reba, Reba McIntyre. You toured with her also? I did. So that was my first... I guess, headlining major artists. I said, I've had many jobs. I was in pharmaceutical sales. Longer story than we have time for, but I was in pharmaceutical sales out of college and I was in Phoenix, Arizona in a business meeting. And I called to check my answering machine back in Nashville, hoping somebody had called about coming to sing a song, a demo or or something. And I got a message saying that Reba McIntyre was auditioning for a singer, a female singer to sing background vocals and to do a song called Does He Love You that she and Linda Davis had won a Grammy for. And I was like, oh, this is great. And so I auditioned against 20 girls. It was so nerve wracking. And I prayed and prayed and prayed and I got the phone call. And the next thing you know, I'm out singing a duet with Reba in front of 55,000 people. 
And that was a couple of years. And then she went to Broadway to do a show. And then it was back to what do I do next and doing my own thing. So it was, it's a roller coaster, but you know, I guess after a while, you just learn to like roller coasters in this business. And then George Strait's camp called. Yeah, that was another crazy. I had given up getting another gig. I had a mortgage and was single. And I thought, okay, I guess I'm going back into the pharmaceuticals business. Again, nothing wrong. It's a wonderful business. It just was not what made my heart sing, so to speak. And I probably wasn't very good at it. So I went and interviewed with a small company to go back into drug sales and thought, okay, I had to go buy a suit. I bought, you know, navy blue pumps and got my interview stuff together. And the guy I interviewed with was a former bass player who lived in Birmingham. And he said, wow, what a resume you have. Marie Osmond, Louise Mandrell, Reba McIntyre. What makes me think if I offer you this job, which he did that day, that you wouldn't take off and start singing again? And I, it sounds crazy, but I literally said, I've been singing a duet with Reba McIntyre for two years. Unless George Strait calls, where do I go from here? I'm seriously said that. And he went, hey, ha, ha, ha. We laughed, laughed, laughed. Shook hands. I said, yes, I'm going to, you know, do the paperwork to take the job. I got to my car and there was a message from Wes Hightower, who's a phenomenal harmony singer in Nashville, the best. And he said, hey, Marty, it's Western. I think George Strait's office is going to call you today. Leanna, probably <laughs> the same girl who was with Marie had been with George and she was going to have a baby. So she didn't want to be on the road. And he said, I told him not to audition anybody. Just call Marty. She's perfect for this gig. And I've been with him over 23 years now. Yeah. So 23 years from that phone call. So it was just like, I've had a lot of you know, Belmont students and MTSU students, young singers, you know, how did you get to do what you're doing? And I'm like, because you just keep doing it, I guess. You know, you just, if somebody calls, answer the phone and show up and be prepared and keep singing and don't ask too many questions or they might figure you out. (laughs) Well, let's drill down a little bit on what touring life is like, because I'm guessing that most people have no idea. So you've been with George for over 20 years, let's say he's got a concert schedule and you start in Dallas. Do you all meet there and get on a bus? Just walk us through what a day is like, maybe in between concerts. Well, I'm a little bit different situation because I live in Nashville and all his band is from Texas and George lives in Texas. So I typically fly into the city wherever we're going to start and meet them there at the hotel, ride the bus over to sound check, all the band, maybe go to catering and then do our sound check on the stage, whether it's an arena or in a stadium, we have a scheduled time that it's our turn to be on stage and get our, you know, sounds all dialed in, get our monitor mixes like we want it. And then we'll get the radio call that George is here. He's going to come up and then he'll come up and sing sometimes two or three songs or sometimes he'll say, hey, let's sing or five, whatever he feels like until he feels comfortable in the venue where we are. And if there's a new song, we might run it a couple of times. But they've been doing this for way longer than I've been with them, for almost 40 years, I think. So it's kind of like riding a horse, pardon the pun, but it is for them. They've just been doing it together for so long. And now I'm, you know, 23 years in, I pretty much know what's going on as well. And then now at our ages, we go back and take a nap. I shouldn't say that, but that's pretty much the truth. (laughs) And then 
getting ready for the show. And for my whole part of George's career, he's always been the headliner. So some nights we don't go on stage till 9 and 9.15 and play two straight hours of country music and, you know, four songs in the encore. And then after you're pretty wound up. And then sometimes we hang around while the traffic clears out and then we get on the bus and go back to the hotel. Or if we're going to another place, we get on the bus and go to the next city and wake up in another city six, eight hours away. So tell me about the bus. How many are in the ace and the whole band? So it's the ace and the whole band plus George. Right. That travels by bus. And how many are in there? I think the band bus has 11 people on it, 10 or 11. Two drivers. There's always a co-driver so they can drive longer hours and take turns. And then most of the band, the ones who are in Texas, are on the bus. Again, I fly in. George has a bus and his wife, Norma, is out with us at 99.9% of the shows. So they have a beautiful bus that they travel on and basically stay on when, when we're out there. And then there's a production bus, which is all the lighting crew and the sound crew. And then there's, there are catering trucks and buses. And then, the, you know, the, I don't know how many we're running with these days, but it's quite the production. <laughs> I can imagine. What are the buses like? Do they have sleeping berths or just seats like, like in an airplane and you just recline to sleep? Well, in the 30 years I've been on the road, they've come a long way. I mean, they've always been nice. There's, of course, the jump seat and the driver's seat up front. And then typically there's a lounge in the front and then a lounge in the back on our TVs. And of course, back years ago, we would watch DVDs or now they're all satellite and internet. And some have showers that you can not even go to the hotel if you don't want to. And then bunks, there's sometimes stacks three times two, so six on each side. And they're just stacked over each other. They're a little weird at first, but once you get used to it, and especially when I was younger, I slept so well on the bus that when I got home, I had to have a noisemaker because I got so used to have the rumble sound mm-hmm. of butts and it just, it was soothing. Some are awesome. I mean, some are really tricked out and very nice. And then there's always the breakdown. You have to plan so far ahead because a bus somewhere along the way is going to have a problem or get a deer or have a blowout. I mean, there's, it's road travel and it's fun and we've got a million funny stories and all that, but it's not as glamorous as it sounds. But I've said for a long time, I think I always felt like I got paid to travel. I would do the show for free. But what you really, you get paid for being away from home and the inconveniences when your room's not ready or again, small problems, but there's always a story. Okay, now when you travel with George Strait, I'm guessing you stay in nice hotels and you mentioned catering. Tell us about meals. Well, at the venue, whether that's a theater or an arena or a stadium, there's always a place where they provide food for us. And sometimes it's ridiculously fantastic and sometimes it's not so much. That's also especially after you've been on the road for a while. It's like, that's the memory you have. Oh, remember they had that great pie. Like, really? That's what we remember from the show. (laughs) Or, oh, that was the best chicken dish I've ever had. Or, oh, that catering was terrible. What were they thinking? Why were they serving that? So it's kind of silly that after all the excitement of being on stage, we can remember, you know, what the barbecue was like. But you have a pass, our backstage pass, and you just walk through and get whatever you want. It's pretty much up all the time. And it's not hard to gain weight on the road on tour. 
because there's always catering. Do you work out when you're on the road? I do. Yeah. I mean, I love it when we're in a town where we're down by the river or, you know, usually that we stay in a nice hotel where there's a great facility to work out inside. But if I can get up and feel safe, depending on where we are, that I can A, find my way back to the hotel before all the GPS on your phone, it would be like, now, what was the name of that hotel we're in? Was it a Hilton? <laughs> I can't remember. But yeah, I always do. It's not everybody does, but yeah, you can make it as healthy eating wise and workout wise. And a couple of the guys in the band play golf and I love to play golf as you do as a lot of, you know, they're beautiful golf courses all over this gorgeous country. And if we can find a place to play golf, we get up early in the morning and go see a new golf course and then try to get back for sound check. And sometimes we show up at sound check in our golf clothes and George is like, where'd y'all play today? So we try to get out and see the city or do something fun in the towns we're in if we can. Do you do your own hair and makeup or do they have someone that travels with you? You know, I do my own and I just, at the end of this tour, the very last show we did with Chris Stapleton and his beautiful wife, Morgan, and Little Big Town. And I love those people. All of them are so fantastic. That's, I'm so thrilled we're going to get to do that same tour again next year. They've just announced eight or nine shows for next year with Little Big Town and Chris Stapleton. And my curling iron, we were in Tampa, and my curling iron just broke in half somehow in the suitcase. So when I got there, I'm like, okay, it is a thousand degrees outside because it's August 5th and hot in Tampa. I'm going to have to go curly hair. No way it's going to be straight for very long. And I'm off a curling iron. So I went to borrow a curling iron and I've seen all season long this year, the glam room. And I thought it was Little Big Town. Then I found out it's Little Big Town and Morgan get your hair done in there. And Morgan happened to be in there. This is Chris Stapleton's wife. And she said, girl, get in here. And, let and I, I wanted to borrow a curling iron. And they were kind of like, just sit down and we'll do your hair. I'm like, where has this been all year? This is fantastic. So hopefully next year, I'm going to get the glam room to do my hair and makeup, which would be awesome. But no, normally it's just me. I pick out my clothes. I buy my clothes. George doesn't, you know, care what I wear, which is fine. I can have fun with it or wear all black like most background singers do. But but sometimes I can, you know, have a little bit of fun with whatever I wear. Because you see pictures of yourself online and go, oh, man, I've worn that three times. <laughs> Now, you and the band members, I believe this is accurate, also sing with George on his recordings. Is that correct? Wes Hightower and I sing the background harmonies on most of most every song on every record since the second year I've been out here. So, yeah, George has used Nashville studio musicians for his recordings pretty much exclusively since the beginning, just different ones. This, we're in the middle, actually, of a brand new George Strait record, which is very exciting. Marty, can you tell listeners what a studio musician is, please? Yes. Yeah, so in Nashville, there are people who you might see playing down on Broadway or people who get on the tour buses and they play with different artists. They call them sidemen in their band or band members. And a lot of people have names for their band members who travel with them. But a lot of times in Nashville, there are professional studio musicians who don't exclusively, but sometimes almost exclusively just play in the studio. And they just go into the recording studio and play on people's records. And they 
listen to the demos maybe or listen to the guitar vocal of the artist and then they put the charts together and musical charts and they come up with a formula and a plan of who's going to play what solos and they they are in the studio day in and day out making recordings and some become hit records and some never make their record but they get paid to go and play music all day it's awesome it's incredible so if george records you notice i'm on first name basis with him here if george <laughs> records a record and mm -hmm. it goes gold or platinum mm -hmm. do you also get a gold or platinum record to I hang get in so rich no i don't but i get so i'm in the sag aftra screen actors guild and aftra our musicians or singers union rather merged a while back so we get what's called union scale for recordings and then as records sell or now are downloaded or streamed we get a little bit every time it hits another level so it's kind of hard to explain and i'm probably not telling it completely correctly so i hope no music business professor is listening to me or anybody from after because i might be saying this wrong but the better the record does the more we get paid i can mm -hmm. say that with confidence so I have some platinum records and gold records that I requested just because it was super exciting to get to sing on them. And I'm, they're in my office that I'm sitting in right now. And along with, you know, all my pictures and, and memorabilia and stuff. So, yeah, it's if the record does well, yes, you get paid again and it, you can make more money on the bigger records. Well, and then you get those beautiful framings to put in your home. That's very cool. Yeah. Now, another thing you do, and I was not familiar with this until we talked earlier, is you're in the house band at the Grand Ole Opry. For listeners who aren't familiar, can you give a cocktail version of what the Grand Ole Opry is and then tell us about the house band? Oh, yeah. So the Grand Ole Opry is the longest running radio show in the world. And it's been around, coming up on 100 years and they've only missed a Saturday night during wartime, I think. I mean, it's been incredible legacy. And it's a place where people go to try out their new songs, to see how the audience likes them. And you have to be invited. You just can't show up there. But we right now are doing four and five nights a week. It's recorded always. It's on the radio always on WSM. And it's on TV some nights on Circle Network these days. And yeah, it's fantastic. So the house band or the staff band is made up of musicians, a lot of studio musicians, a lot of people who've been on the road with a ton of different artists. And we play in the backgrounds for every artist who doesn't bring his or her own band. So we're quite busy. I'm working tonight, in fact. How do you rehearse? Because you're playing with different people or singing for different people all the time. Right, all the time. Yeah, we get a schedule, kind of a lineup of who's going to be on the show. And then we get an email of who has requested background singers. There are four background singers, all four of us or one or two of us, who want steel guitar, who wants what kind of lineup, what they need in addition to the people they're bringing, if they're bringing people. And then we have an app where we can go in and they will have their songs downloaded so that we can hear their versions of the songs they're going to be singing. And then we go, for singers anyway, we have a chart that has lyrics and what we call that, it's the Nashville number system, which is basically a, a quick way to chart music that can be transposed in any key, which might be a little 
in the weeds explanation was. Who are you singing with tonight? That is a good question. I have to look and see. I know there are a couple of new people that I've not sung with before. Let's see. Last night, I got to sing with Jeannie Seeley, one of my favorite people in the world and in the music business, and Bill Anderson and Don Schlitz, who wrote The Gambler and When You Say Nothing at All. Tonight, who is on? I don't think I've looked ahead to see, but I'll be doing that after I finish talking with you. How does it feel to have a stadium or a venue full of people clapping for you? It's crazy. I mean, I know they're not clapping for me, but I'm us as a whole. It's very exciting. You know, it's it never gets old. And sometimes you just have to stop and go, man, this is so wild. This is crazy. This is cool. And you just can't forget to do that because in the busyness of it all and, the you know, something's going wrong with your ear monitors or doesn't sound exactly like you thought it was going to sound, whatever's going on, or a crazy fan or a rude fan, or there are always things going on. And you just more and more as I've gotten older, I just have to stop and go, this is crazy. I'm doing what I love. Definitely. Marty, I always ask my guests what one new thing they've done or discovered lately. It doesn't matter how tiny. And I can't wait to hear what you're going to share with us. Well, I discovered Greece. And when you asked that question, I just thought, if I say Greece, I just got back from Greece, the country, not growing up in the South. We're very familiar with Greece, but not the country, <laughs> the kind you cook with. But yeah, Greece was phenomenal. And my husband and I travel a good bit. And we go to a lot of the same places over and over because we love them. And we've just made this commitment. Now we've got to go places we've never been because there's so much we haven't seen and so much to see. And I have a wall of quotes in my powder room in my home from my dad, from people in my family, from Dr. Seuss, from all kinds of other songwriters, all kinds of people I've encountered. And one is from Yentl. There are a million great quotes from that movie, but one is the more I live, the more I learn, the more I learn, the more I realize, the less I know. I love that. I love that. Greece is on our bucket list. What part did you go to? We flew in to Athens and then went to Santorini for a couple of days and then Mykonos for a night. And then we went and got on a beautiful catamaran with three other couples and a captain. And we island hopped to islands I can't pronounce. One was just as lovely as the other. And the food was phenomenal and the people were fantastic. And all the things you heard about a trip to Greece. It was all that. It was really, really fun. And I want to go back, but I, as I've just said, we got to go somewhere new. We got keep. I've never, another song quote, I've never been to Spain and I want to go to Spain. I've been a lot of places to a lot of places in Europe, but I haven't been to Spain and that's been on my, my wish list. So, and we're going to the Galapagos Islands next spring. Oh, wonderful. I never thought I would want to do that, but somebody told me I should. So we will. So yeah, we're going to do that with the same couples that we just went to Greece, not a Greece trip. So looking forward to places I've never been. Good for you, Marty. And those are big new things. Thanks for sharing. And thanks for spending the time talking with me. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for reminding me how lucky I am. Well, that's it for today's show. A huge thank you to Marty for joining me. If you enjoyed this episode, and I hope you did, I hope you'll listen to other episodes, spread the word about this show, and consider leaving a rating or review. 
A huge thank you to Brian at Top Tier Audio for his advice and guidance. And thanks to you for tuning in. And remember, I'd love to hear from you if you discover a fun new thing. My email is pam at whoimettoday.com.